Hello everybody and welcome to Esports Today where I speak to a range of industry professionals about, well, esports and gaming. This episode in particular, and well, this entire series actually, is brought to you by Ross Video. They do live event production equipment, they manufacture it, they're amazing, both for esports and sports. Please do check them out. In this episode though, I am proud to be joined by Alex Inglot, the Commissioner of ESL Pro League, where we talk about ESL Pro League in 2025. We, we talk about the what is potentially happening with ESL Pro League in 2025 following Valve's rules to essentially end partner team uh, models, which includes the ESL Pro League. We also talk about ESL Pro League's transition from CS2 to CSGO, well, CSGO, CS2, sorry, I see even I'm getting confused about it, including when they even played the latest ESL Pro League in CSGO while CS2 was being launched. It's a really fun conversation and hopefully you all enjoy it. So Alex, it's a pleasure to have you here to talk about well, ESL Pro League and Counter-Strike 2. I nearly said CSGO again, uh, <laughs> but it is Counter-Strike 2 and I'll eventually get used to that. But I think the first thing I do want to ask, uh, the big question, I guess, uh, I don't know, you know what you'd be able to answer this, but um, there is obviously ever-going developments with Valve and how they've basically said that they'd no longer want a partner team model to happen in 2025. Yeah. Uh, I know that you've commented on it previously in the past, but I just wanted to see, you know, as probably a lot of people do with different updates that come on, uh, is there any progress of what 2025 ESL Pro League is going to look like in the future? So in terms of the product itself, uh, we already announced that in 2024, we were going to be moving to three weeks a season. Uh, the feedback we always got back from the community while they love the event is that it does go on for quite a while. And so what we're going to have from 2024 onwards is already this three week event. So we'll have the first two weeks will be our group stages, two groups in one week or per week. And then the playoff week as normal in the final week. So it will be still pretty much the EPL that people know and love, just a little bit condensed. Um, so that's that's what's going to happen from the yeah the product side. Do you think that uh, that's in preparation of what's potitially going to happen into the future? It's difficult to say. Um, it really depends a lot on um, a number of factors. One of them will be the future of the RMRs because obviously the RMR and the RMR qualifiers take up quite a good few weeks in the calendar each, each half of the year. Um, and we understand that there is uh, a kind of hope from Valve's side that if they get the ranking where they want it to be and if it gets used and implemented the they way they see it, they may move away from an RMR model. And so that would free up a whole bunch of weeks in the calendar so it's really difficult to know because that will open up as i said those weeks and how those weeks are then filled is a uh, is very difficult to predict it could be a free-for-all it could be new tos it could be pro league expanding back out again it'll be all up for grabs but it really the, i think the calendar at the moment or from 2024 or onwards with those rmrs and or rmr qualifiers really really required us to try and move to a shorter Pro League season. So that's what we see in 2024 onwards. But as ever in the esports space, especially in CS, things change. And as things are developed, ESL and I'm sure Blast and the other TOs will be monitoring and seeing if and how they can make changes. Yeah, is there any um, possibility of adapting the, the Pro League in the sense of having promotion relegation and making it more open? Is that is that kind of the consideration of what you're thinking with the Pro League in the future? Yeah, so the other side of the Pro League, as you mentioned, is obviously the agreement that kind of sat behind it, the Louvre agreement, 
And the way I look at it is the Louvre agreement had kind of four main pillars to it when we, when we set it up. One was guaranteed participation in the tournament itself for the member teams. That obviously disappears now. Um, and everyone will have to qualify based on rankings and qualifications at meritocracy as Valve champion. The second piece is revenue share, which is really all about creating a mechanism through which the teams that contribute to the quality and the success of the product can share in those spoils, whether it's broadcast revenue, sponsorship revenue. And I think we will probably have something similar to that ongoing. It will not be limited to the 15 member teams of the Louvre agreement. It will be now open, probably in some shape or form, to the teams that participate in the tournament. So that kind of in some shape or form survives. The third piece is governance. And the governance piece, again, if you look behind it, it was really about bringing the teams to the table and giving them a more of a say in how we structure and strategize the future of the product. And I think when, you know, we're not going to go back on that or ESL are not going to go back on that. I think the communication lines that have been opened up, the trust and desire to work together will remain and will continue. It may not be quite as formal as the Louvre Agreement set up, but I think it will continue. So that, again, in some shape or form survives. And then the, the fourth piece was really about facilitating um, commercial aggregation deals. And that can continue because it's separate from performance and qualification so so the kind of it's a it's a long way of saying that not much is probably going to change of course we're going to see new teams come in of course we're going to see some dream runs cinderella runs but i think when we when we did a quick uh, model of what would the epl have looked like had it been under the valve rules in the past it wouldn't have been that different we you know we had a system that had 15 established teams and 17 qualifying teams. So we would rarely cut out any team that deserved to be there. You could argue that maybe there, someone like a Cloud9 would maybe be guaranteed a spot, maybe EG would maybe have not got a guaranteed slot. But apart from that, there's really, and a few, you know, a, a few random teams here and there, I don't think the EPL format and bracket would have looked drastically different under the new rules as it did under our existing agreement. And last thing I want to talk about about the new rules actually is the revenue share thing because it's something that really fascinates me. Is that going to be the hardest one to kind of work around in the sense that there isn't a, you know, with this new model potentially, a guaranteed amount of teams which will get a revenue share amount? Is, it, is that the hardest one to kind of work around? Yeah, Tom, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's the piece that we are still like very much engaged in negotiating and discussing the pros and cons of how, where we put the needle because you're right, in theory, where we would have to split the revenue with 15 teams, now potentially it could be 24 teams. Um, and is that, is that what we want to do? How do, on what basis do we do it? Do we do cutoffs? There's lots of different ways to kind of skin the cat, so to speak. Uh, but what we want to do is ensure that we respect Valve's kind of founding principle, which is everyone needs to have the ability to, to engage in any revenue share that is focused on performance. How we define performance, how we define value, and how we then kind of really finalize a formula is very much still up in the air, but that commitment to kind of share is, is, is also equally set in stone, I think. Right, we've talked enough about future of ESL. I actually want to talk a little bit about the, the present and, well, a little bit in the past, actually. Okay. Uh, during ESL Pro Tour, there was a transition from CSGO to CS2, to Strike 2. Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about 
how that happened, because that was mid-season, or at least coming to the conclusion of your ESL Pro Tour season. Yeah. Were the were the considerations of doing the end of it in Counter-Strike 2? Because we wanted in the end to do uh, CSGO throughout the entire match. Yeah, it was, it was really tricky. I mean, we had a lot of time to think and plan for it, because obviously we knew in March when it launched in the beta, uh, what, that we that we had a certain amount of time that this was imminent it was going to happen then we spoke to valve in uh, paris at the major to try and get a better sense of the timing they kind of were not clear themselves really they were still in the process of developing and they couldn't really put a date on it we were everyone knew there was kind of this late summer thing that had been announced on twitter by by the counter-strike account so we we were always looking at the calendar going oh is this going to be before cologne is this going to be after cologne You've got a five-week pro league kind of uh, schedule, which means, leaves it very open to somewhere in that five weeks it could drop. So we were thinking about it a lot, and I can't—I think that was one of the benefits that we could start kind of um, brainstorming what would it look like um, if it dropped in this week, that week. And so we we were pretty confident, especially the closer we got to it, the more these maps started coming out. We had a sense that it was probably going to be around pro league or just after. And so the question internally was, do we want to do that or not? We spoke to the player council to try and get their view on it. And it was a bit mixed. There are some players who were like, once it's out, I want to just flip across. Like the moment um, Valve flicks that switch, I want to flick that switch. And we understand that for sure. But we had a real conundrum because for us, competitive integrity is super critical. And we, we were one of the, we, we thought about a lot of factors, but one of the big factors for us was what happens if a team qualifies by winning group A, then in, then group B weak, it flips. They can start practicing in CS2, but the winner of group not, uh, group D can't because they need to win in CSGO and they'd have less time to practice. And so we decided that on the balance of all of these different factors that we felt for the sake of consistency, for the sake of fairness, for the sake of what you start is what you'll finish, we were going to go with the CSGO to the end. We knew that we were going to have fun with the CS2 drop when it happened from a content point of view, from a talent point of view. The, e the EPL format is so conducive to all of that kind of stuff. We saw it with the drop in March, how it all went bananas in Malta. We thought it would go bananas again in Malta again, and it did. But we felt from a professional elite level product, we wanted to keep that consistency and parity. In the end, it was one of the one of the last real CS go ones because it wasn't actually it was using um, a different project, right? It wasn't actually on the server. We had to pin it, yeah. So when, when we spoke to uh, when we spoke to Valve in Paris, we we mentioned this. We said, look, there is a chance that you will drop this in the middle of a in the middle of a one week, two week, dare I say, a five week tournament. Are you comfortable with us? Because we've done it before with like smaller patches where we delay the patch until the tournament finishes. And they said, yeah, no, we're fine with that. Um, so we were able to pin that version, see it through to the end. So from a production point of view, we had the okay from Valve. We knew what we wanted to do with it. And we also knew that if it dropped, we would have to kind of really hustle to get ready for Sydney because that's only a few weeks later. And we wanted to, we thought Sydney is a good place to drop CS2 because it's obviously a high profile event. It's an IEM, it's tier one, uh, but it also gives us a chance to try a whole bunch of things, say that we're the first, which is always nice. Um, but then now we don't have to really worry about it at a tier one level until Katowice in late, late January. So 
I think, um, and actually because of the lead time that we had, because of the lead time that that gave to Valve in terms of the bugs and correcting bugs, and because of the lead time it gave us in terms of the production, it means that by the time we started in Sydney, I was talking to my guys on the ground and they're like, it is remarkably smooth. Uh, we were at, you know, when we first thought about this, we thought this was going to be a real kind of like seat of the pants, hope nothing goes wrong. But actually, we, it's been fairly calm and it's worked pretty smoothly. Uh, going on to then Counter-Strike 2, as you were saying, like, what have your been initial thoughts of Counter-Strike 2 and its slight differences from, from CSGO, you know, its shorter rounds? Like, how do you think that's going to affect the esports ecosystem at I mean, I think most people would say there's a big amount of wait and see because the meta will settle. Look, I think I, I would start by saying CSGO didn't need to change. Of course, you know, it needed a bit of updating. It had been there for 10 years, but, but I think that's one of the things that makes CS so powerful is its consistency, its clarity, its mechanics. It's, there's a simplicity to it that makes it accessible for a fan, accessible as a player. That definitely doesn't take away from the fact that to excel, you have to be tremendous in your hand-eye coordination, tremendous in your kind of strategy around the maps. But I think, you know, we don't have a patch every five minutes. We don't have, you know, nerfing, buffing, new characters, spells, weapons changing every five minutes. And for certain ecosystems, that's wonderful. But for ours, I think it's that kind of stability that really tests and brings great pride to those who excel in it. So I think that's why... CS really didn't need a massive overhaul. It's been spruced up. It looks beautiful. To your point about what's changed, obviously the, there was a big conversation about the, the bomb, the Molotovs and the, not the Molotovs, sorry, the smokes and the grenades. And obviously that will, people will have to adapt to that and the meta will have to adapt to that. I think the MR12, <coughs> excuse me, I'm starting to lose my voice. I think the MR12 is, um, is a positive development because timing is an issue. Um, you know, we've always heard from the community that the games go on too long, let alone when you've had your five round, you know, best of fives, those really go on for five, six, seven hours. So shaving time off is critical. And I think we're seeing that kind of initial feedback now from the players who don't like it, because I wouldn't anticipate anything different. When you've built your career and your living on the precision required to be excelling at this game any change is going to be a spanner in the works so you get that kind of initial knee-jerk I don't like it we could have done it differently but I think overall at the elite level what we're seeing is a lot of understanding from the players that there is just going to be a period of transition we're going to have some bugs we're going to have some glitches there are going to be some things that we're going to provide further feedback for and the best way to give that feedback is to is to put the game into the sunlight and let people play it let people test it, come up with new strategies, come up with the counter strategies, the meta will settle. And so, yeah, probably by early next year, it will be a settled game much more than it is today. But I think there is an understanding that that will just take a little bit of time. Yeah, talking about the, the bugs in general, it's a big conversation within the Counter-Strike world. In general, with the game coming out and there being some like bugs and some issue with it from a performance standpoint, um, do you think that it is just these teething problems and then you know get these I mean it's quite hypothetical uh do you think that it actually will affect the esports organization the esports ecosystem sorry and these bugs do continue and, and, and how much do you think this actually really affects the esports ecosystem not just the from a player perspective yeah I think 
was talking to a bunch of people here today and they were saying they quite love this period in the transition because it's so up in the air, crazy strategies are working, established players are being shocked. It's a kind of, it's a moment of upheaval that is entertaining. Now, I'm sure if you spoke to the players, they will not give you the same answer. And respectfully, I completely get that. Um, so I think, I think when CSGO came out in 2012, it was the same thing. A lot of people were saying it's unplayable, it's, it's awful. Um, but it just takes time for these things to be ironed out in the cold light of day, in the cold light of competition. So I think the, the big thing that I would point to to address your question is Valve's receptiveness to feedback. I think the, the level of testing, the level of feedback, which started with the talent who were kind of doing it behind closed doors pre-March, then from March till September where they had it with the beta, the beta keys that went to the top, all the players who had played in the majors, They've really been testing, 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 patching, patching, patching. They, through us, even through the orgs, they sent out emails saying, if you've got any feedback, please let us know. Um, so they've really been incredibly receptive to trying to make sure that the game works and is fixed to the extent that it needs to be. So it's not finished. That process is not finished. It will continue. But to your point, do I think that this is something that the ecosystem should be concerned about? Is it a medium to long-term issue? I don't think so. It will get ironed out. Um, you know, Valve will make decisions, and some of those decisions the players won't like, but that's Valve's prerogative. But I think if Valve disagree, there are things that Valve just haven't found yet, or once they find out about it, we'll go, oh, no, that's not what we intended. We'll change it. So I think it will take a few months, but we will get there, and the game will become much more stable and comfortable for the pros. As a, a couple of final questions, uh, obviously ESI London, it was announced that the Blast uh, Spring Premier Finals is taking place in London. Yep. Is there a thought of ESL potentially doing something around London? At the, in the yeah, look, I think ESL is always looking to spread the gospel of Counter-Strike, let alone esports around the world. I mean, you know, we took the events to Brazil. We took the, we've taken the events. We've got China coming up. We were in Sydney this week. So we're all about taking places to establish markets, new markets, uh, shall we call them forgotten markets, I guess, is that the phrase? You know, we haven't been here in London for a while. I think ESL would definitely look at it. We've had a lot of conversations, actually ESL recently put a lot of resources into their um, hosting team who are now kind of going around networking, talking to cities and organizations behind kind of hosting capabilities and venues. I myself have had, I've had a whole bunch of conversations across Europe, Middle East, North America, new cities, new regions that want to host these events. Um, they see the impact, they see the, the power, the demographic cut through. You know, you look at Macron who was wearing Team Vitality on the day he won the election. So people realize that there is a huge currency to having these events. It speaks to a big demographic. So. I would love to see it. You know, I'm from London. I'd love to see an event, an ESL event here sooner rather than later. Um, so, yeah, never say never. And hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, it would definitely be an easier commute, wouldn't it? Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. The final question. Uh, this is a mini series podcast. It's eSports Today. So I wanted to play a little bit of wordplay on the eSports Today. But I do also want to shout out like Ross Video before I do uh, say the question because they have provided the uh, equipment here, they've provided the set in here, and they're also a, a company that does a lot of like, live production and event, and a lot of the um, the equipment for events goes from Ross Video as well, so do check them out. But to get to the question, uh, I had to do the little sponsor plug there, you know. I, I love them though, I actually, I actually really do love Ross Video. 
And what, uh, how would you define esports today? How would I define esports? Sure, but difficult question. Right? Esports for me is the is is building a world that allows those who want to be the best compete and prove that they are. Um, and it's all about you know enabling that, whether it's through broadcasting, whether it's through sponsoring, whether it's through team organizations, whether it's through you know player contract and welfare and looking after their interests. It's that whole inner and outer ring that surrounds the core competition where the best get to prove that they're the best and they get to inspire the next generation. I mean, when I watch sports or esports, I watch it because I want to learn the tricks of the trade. I want to know what these guys are doing that's different from what I can do. So it's also a showcase of like, this is how the game is played when it's at its at its peak. And I think that's, uh, for me, like going walking into a Katowice in the Spolek Arena or walking into Lanxus in Cologne is, you do, you know, you've seen it before. You shouldn't be surprised, but it's still just like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And all of these tier one um, hosts, they really put on fantastic events, incredible production quality, fireworks, lasers, people coming up from the stage. It's, it's a show, right? It's a show and it, it celebrates those who have put in so much time and dedication into being the best at what they do. And, and I think longer may it continue. Alex, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully Sydney goes well as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.